Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Jeremiah chapter 52? The prophecies of Jeremiah chapter 52. And please keep your Bibles open because we're going to be referring to chapter 52 and 23 and 17 and all the way through. So the book of Jeremiah chapter 52. And as we open God's scriptures, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, as we open your word once again this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would remind us of who you are and how it is that you work in this world with your people. You are the sovereign Lord. We also pray, Lord, that you would speak to us words of comfort and grace and hope also for the future. Through your spirit, we pray that we may hear your word in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 52, final chapter of the book. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah, a different Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord just as Jehoiakim had done. And it was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They camped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth month of the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. When the, then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled, they left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, although the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. And so it was going on, and they're captured, and they're taken, and then the temple is destroyed, and all the stuff is taken from the temple. And so let's go to the uh, verse 27 toward the end of the chapter. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. This is the number of the people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile in the seventh year, 3,023 Jews. In Nebuchadnezzar's 18th year, 832 people from Jerusalem. In his 23rd year, 745 Jews taken into exile by Nebuzaradan, the commander of the Imperial Guard. There were 4,600 people in all. In the 37th year of exile, of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and freed him from prison on the 25th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. 
So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived until the day of his death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and so, this morning, we come to the end of this part of the story of God's dealings with his people. And some of you may be heaving a sigh of relief. It's over. Now we can go to something else. Actually, we're going to go to the Ten Commandments uh, from here on in. So it's not going to get any easier at all for us. But what a journey it has been. In this book, in which we've come to understand something of the sovereignty of God over all nations, we were introduced to the prophet Jeremiah, a man called to be a prophet even before he was born. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And called when he was only a child, Jeremiah carried out his ministry in various very dangerous times and often in dramatic fashion. Known as the weeping prophet, a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah proclaimed the word of the Lord during the last years of the kingdom of Judah. He called God's people to repent of their ways or face the judgment and punishment of the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. In other words, if you don't reform your ways and your actions, you will not live in this place. And as we've gone through the book, we've noted that the Lord made it clear through Jeremiah how appalled he was at how far his people had wandered away from him and from his will for them. Faithful covenant partners, these people of Israel, were not. In fact, as the banner of the tree demonstrates, a banner based on Jeremiah 17, Rather than being freed or being a tree fed by the living stream, they were a people who had drunk from the toxic elixir of the nations around them and had strayed far from the Lord. And so in no uncertain terms, the Lord called the people of Judah to account, even calling on the stars and all of the universe to witness the absurdity of it all. Consider this, O heavens, consider this, O stars, consider this creation that I have made. My people, the people belonging to the only living God with whom I have a covenant relationship. My people, get this, this is nuts, this is absurd. My people traded me in for some dumb, useless idols. How can it be? And as we walk through the 52 chapters of the Bible that make up this prophecy, time and again, we hear the call to repentance. It's clear 
Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from serving idols, useless idols. Turn from your acts of injustice. Turn from your greed, your selfishness, and so forth. Repent, my people. But they had eyes that did not see. They had ears that did not hear. There was no repentance. There was no turning from wicked ways. You hear it in the refrain concerning the final four kings of Judah. Jehoiahaz did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoiakim did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoiachin did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And finally, Zedekiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And even when the people asked for advice, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, when people asked for advice as to, from the Lord as to whether or not they ought to stay under the rule of Babylon or go to Egypt, and the Lord told them that if they stayed under the rule of Babylon, they would live, but if they went to Egypt, they would die, the people said, we know it better, we've made up our mind, we're going to Egypt, where they died. I can imagine that Jeremiah must have been an incredibly frustrated prophet. His words seemed to fall on deaf ears all the time. No one seemed to care what he said. They just all went their own way. And meanwhile, he suffered much in bringing the word of the Lord to the people. And then, just as the Lord had said through his prophet Jeremiah, and because of the story behind each of the refrain, refrains following the names of the kings just mentioned, and because of the continued ignoring of the word of the Lord, chapter 52, verse 3, in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Did you catch those words? Think about those words for a moment. Those are frightening words. In the end, he thrust them from his presence. In Psalm 23, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies, and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will live in the, life, in the house of the Lord forever. But he thrust them from his presence. In Psalm 51, verse 11, after having been convicted of his sin with the taking of Bathsheba, David prayed, Do not take me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, Lord, because of what I have done, because of my adultery, because of my stealing, because of my lying, because of my murdering, because of my disobedience, please don't remove the kingdom from me, but please don't cast me aside as unwanted. Now David repented. And the Lord did not cast him aside, but there have been times in the scriptures we read that God carried out his judgment on people because in the end, he couldn't abide them anymore. Think of Noah's day with the flood. Think of Abraham and Lot's day with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of the times in the Gospels and even in the book of Revelation where the Lord separates the sheep and the goats 
And there are certain sinners left outside the walls of the new, new Jerusalem where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and so forth. In the end, he thrusts them from his presence, we read in Jeremiah 52. That's a scary thing. It's no wonder that the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Indeed it is. We don't hear it very often, but indeed it is. Even today, the world needs to hear the warning. And in chapter 52, verses 4 through 30, we see once again how dreadful it can be when you disregard the Lord and His will and His commands. There we're reminded of the complete destruction of Jerusalem and the removal of the people of Judah from the presence of the Lord. This chapter that we just read part of is a review of what happened earlier in, Je in Jeremiah 39. It's also a parallel pas pac passage to 2 Kings 24. Take the opportunities to read that. And so once we come to the end of the book of Jeremiah, Jerusalem lays in ruins, the temple is looted and destroyed, the people are scattered all over, many taken into exile into Babylon, and others living out their final days in Egypt, thrust from the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah himself is not mentioned in this final chapter. We don't really know what happened to him. Some scholars suggest that he lived out his days in Judah among the poor of the land. Others suggest he died in Egypt, having been taken there by those who chose to go there against the expressed will of the Lord. Whatever was the case, Jeremiah certainly was a faithful servant of the living, sovereign God to a very unfaithful people. He's a prophet who proclaims judgment. He's a prophet who preached doom and gloom. But as we've also heard, he was also a prophet who preached the gospel of hope to a people in captivity, to a people paying the price for their sin and, and neglect of the Lord. He preached the gospel of hope to the God's people because he was representing a covenant God, a covenant God who never, ever, ever forgets his promises. And so, for example, in chapter 31, we read about the new covenant that God will make with his people. His law will be on their hearts. They will all know him. He shall be their God and they shall be his people. He will forgive and remember their sin no more. For a people removed from the presence of the Lord and living in exile, these are powerful words. For us, these are powerful words. In chapters 29 and 30, we hear that God would bring a remnant of his people back to Judah to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But beyond all of that, in chapter 23, there is a prophecy that must have brought incredible joy and expectation to many a Jewish heart. It's a reminder in Jeremiah 23 of what God had said to David in 2 Samuel 7, 
Your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And the intention was that David's throne would be established forever because of the one coming who was going to sit on that throne for all eternity. And so in the promise to David, we once again hear the promise of the Messiah himself. If you have your Bibles, go to Jeremiah 23. This is a hint to what's coming in the very last verses of chapter 52. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah is a prophet of judgment and he's a prophet of hope. And so note both the prophecy of judgment, but more importantly, the prophecy of hope, which brings us to the final few verses of the whole prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my sheep. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And then these words, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. The word of the Lord from chapter 23. Yes, people of Israel, you're being punished for your sins. But get this, I'm going to bring you back to the promised land and the Messiah is going to come from you. Because I am the king and ruling over my kingdom, which is far greater and broader and wider and more powerful and more important than any other kingdom that you may have encountered, the day is coming when you're going to live in safety and you're going to commune with me. The people probably understood very little of what was promised, but it surely brought them hope as they sat at Babel streams singing their songs of lament. Now what's so exciting is that the closing verses of the book of Jeremiah hint in some weird way at the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. The closing verses hint at something other than being thrust from the presence of the Lord. On the contrary, these verses hint at restoration, communion, grace, undeserved favor. Because after the description of the destruction of Jerusalem under the rule of Zedekiah, 
And after the numbering of the people Nebuchadnezzar took into captivity, we get a few verses about what happened to Jehoiachin, king of Judah, while he was in Babylonian captivity. Jehoiachin, just to put it in context, was the second last king of Judah, 18 years old when he became king. He reigned for only three months, at which time Nebuchadnezzar marched in, into Jerusalem. And wisely, the king, along with the other members of the royal family, his officials and others surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar, who took them with him to Babylon. While Jehoiachin did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, nonetheless, he did as Jeremiah had instructed. And he didn't challenge the power of Babylon. And now at the very end of the book, we read that when evil Merodach became the new ruler of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin and freed him from prison. Verses 21, 32 and following of chapter 52. He spoke kindly to the former king of Judah. He gave him a seat of honor higher than those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. And so Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived till the day of his death. Why the king of Babylon did that to Jehoiachin is not known. Why would he? He didn't owe it to him in any way. After all, Jehoiachin was his enemy and was a conquered king. Uh, maybe birds of a feather flocked together, I'm not sure. They were both did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But the fact that the book ends this way speaks volumes about God's grace and faithfulness, and it brings a number of other stories to mind if you know your Bibles. First thing it brought to my mind was a parallel story of Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan and grandson of King Saul. Maybe you remember the story. Mephibosheth was paralyzed in a fall when he was about five years old and fleeing for his life because now David was the king on the throne. Later, David, who had been a very good friend of Jonathan, was pleased to learn that there was one member of Jonathan's family left. And according to 2 Samuel 9, Mephibosheth was spoken to kindly, shown great grace, and invited, of all things, to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. The other passage, the other thing, the passage at the close of Jeremiah made me think of was when we read in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies which made me think of another story in 2 Kings chapter 6 of the time when king, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Do you remember this story? Elisha heard what the king was planning to do, and every time he thwarted the attempts of the king of Aram until finally the king of Aram got so frustrated with this, he says, I've got to find the guy who's leaking all this information to the, Isra to the Israelites. Well, who is that? Well, that's Elisha. Let's go after him. And Elisha meets them and prays that the Lord would then blind the eyes of all the soldiers of Aram. Once the soldiers were all blinded, Elisha said, I'll bring you to the person that you need to go to, to get them. And so then he marched them into the city of Samaria, closed the gates behind them, and there they were in the presence of the king of Samaria and all of his troops. 
Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them all? The king of Samaria wanted to know. No, was the answer. You remember this story? Open their eyes so they can see. Give them food and give them drink, bread and water to eat. And they had a great feast in the presence of their enemies. They opened the gates, let the Arameans go. And it was all good. They never bothered Israel again. Eating at the king's table. So cool, that image. Eating at the king's table speaks the opposite of being thrust from the presence of royalty. Instead, it speaks of favor, of acceptance, of care, of status, of good food and plenty and excellence and honor and grace and life. Jehoiachin did not deserve it. The Arameans of 2 Samuel or 2 Kings 6 didn't deserve it either. Those who it spoke who was spoken about in Psalm 23 didn't deserve it either. It's by grace that the king welcomes those who sit at table with him. It's by grace that he welcomes guests. Next some, next Sunday we once again have the privilege of celebrating the sacrament of Lord's Supper. We have the privilege of sitting at the table of the king. Remember, eating at the king's table speaks of favor, acceptance, care, status, good food, plenty and excellence and honor and grace and life. The gifts of God, all their gifts for the people of God. And so come to the table in full recognition that it's purely by grace that the invitation has been extended. Like Jehoiachin, cast aside your sinful prison clothes and feast on his goodness for all eternity. Just one other thought about the fact that one of the last things we hear as we conclude the prophecy of Jeremiah is that Jehoiachin was given a spot of higher honor than the other kings. Did you catch that in verse 32? He was the king that sat on David's throne. He was given the spot of higher honor than the other kings, even though he didn't deserve it. I can't help but wonder if after all the swagger of the Babylonian Empire and the Babylonian king and the Egyptian Empire and the Philistine Empire and all the self-importance that goes with those who sit on thrones, this was the Lord's way of saying, I got news for all of you. The throne of David and he who sits on that throne is higher and of greater honor than any other ruler. After all, it is the throne on which the Lord Jesus sits. Because, as the apostle writes in Philippians concerning Jesus, because he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jehoiachin, you get a little higher throne. I have no idea why I'm giving you that higher throne. And God says, I know. Because I am sovereign over all. 
And so the book ends. What a book. What a prophecy. What a God. Just and gracious. And as we hear Jesus saying to a number of the churches of Asia Minor as recorded in the book of Revelation, anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen. O oh Lord God, we praise you for your word, a word that calls us to account, a word that talks about how holy and righteous and just you are. You are not a God to be fooled with, and so forgive us when we do that. We thank you, Lord, also for your word that speaks incredible grace into our lives. Thank you for the invitation to come to the table. We certainly don't come because of anything that we are, but we come solely because of who you are. And then, Lord, then we thank you for that one final little reminder that you are the sovereign Lord and your throne is over and above all thrones. Oh, Lord, to you be the glory and the honor Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.